You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, October 30th. And I'm here to recap number two, Ohio State's 44-31 comeback win in Happy Valley against number 13, Penn State. And, you know, rather than going through my usual game summary, I'm just going to assume you actually watched the game (laughs) and you know what happened. So I'm just going to tick down my list of observations here. I'm going to start with the play of the Ohio State defensive line. In my mind, that's where the first game ball should go. The Ohio State defensive line was fantastic. And of course, it all started with JT Tui Malowal. What a performance by the star defensive end. It was the most dominant, most impactful performance by an Ohio State defensive player that I've ever seen in my life. That's not hyperbole. Not even Chase Young in 2019 was as dominant in a single game as Tui Malowal was against Penn State yesterday afternoon. Six tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks, one of which was a strip sack on Sean Clifford that Tui Malowal also recovered. He had two interceptions, one of which he returned for a touchdown. And he also had a tipped pass in the first quarter that was intercepted by fellow defensive end Zach Harrison. So in total, Tui Malowal was responsible for all four of Penn State's turnovers. And two of those, the strip sack and the pick six, he delivered in crunch time in the fourth quarter when Ohio State absolutely had to have those plays. Tui Malowal finished with a staggering 94.6 overall grade from Pro Football Focus. That will almost certainly give the Buckeyes PFF's highest graded defensive player in the country for the second week in a row. Last week, it was Zach Harrison. He was the country's highest graded defensive player, according to PFF. Now, I thought the light went on for Tui Malowal last week against Iowa. I'm sure the Ohio State coaching staff will tell you it probably went on before that. But it was against the Hawkeyes that he started really filling up the stat sheet. He had his first sack of the season in that game. PFF gave him a grade of 80.6, which at that point was his highest overall grade of the season. But, you know, look, it was Iowa and nobody really noticed because of the total ineptitude of the Hawkeye offense. But I think that performance for Tui Malowal, as it would turn out, would portend great things to come against Penn State. I thought defensive tackle Tyleek Williams also had the best game of his career yesterday. Williams turned in a huge fourth down stop on Penn State's first possession of the third quarter. He stuffed running back Nicholas Singleton on fourth and two at the Ohio State 19-yard line to give the ball back to the Buckeyes. He also had a sack on Sean Clifford a couple plays earlier on that drive. Williams finished the day as Ohio State's third highest graded defender with an overall grade of 81.4. We saw flashes from Williams last season, his freshman year. And, uh, you know, we were expecting big things out of Williams coming into his sophomore season. It's taken him a while, but he is really starting to make an impact, Williams is, on that defensive line. And we saw it yesterday really for the first time. So kudos to Williams for a, a great performance yesterday. I was also really impressed by the play of fellow defensive tackle Jerron Cage and defensive end Jack Sawyer. Now, they both finished with PFF grades over 75. Teron Vinson and Zach Harrison Also, both graded really well over 70. Uh, I was actually surprised Harrison's grade wasn't higher because he had a big tip pass yesterday. He also had the interception that I mentioned earlier. He seemed to be all over the field for the second game in a row. 
And look, you know, these players, all of these players that I just mentioned, defensive linemen, they were more than just their PFF grades. I mean, their impact on the field was obvious. You have Ohio State's 19 quarterback pressures in this game. 16 were by the defensive line. I thought the Buckeyes were really good in short yardage situations defensively. There, there was a stop on downs uh, to start the third quarter that I, I've already mentioned, and they nearly came up with another fourth down stop at the goal line in the fourth quarter. I'm going to talk about that in a bit. Uh, Penn State was life and death to punch the ball in for the touchdown on that possession, and that gave them a very brief 21 to 16 lead. And although you know it resulted in a touchdown, I was very impressed by the play of the Ohio State defensive line on that series. Now on the day. Ohio State held the Penn State rushing attack to 3.4 yards per carry. You got to credit the play, the defensive line, largely for that. I really thought they owned the line of scrimmage most of the day and also when it really, really mattered. But, you know, it was kind of a weird box score if you look at it uh, for the Ohio State defense because though they were hugely impactful in this game, Penn State still finished with 482 yards of total offense and 31 points. Quarterback Sean Clifford finished with 371 yards passing and three touchdowns. So, you know, at first glance, you look at those numbers and you think Ohio State had a bit of a rough day on defense. But then you have to consider, I mean, 75 yards of that 482-yard total came in garbage time uh, at the very end of the game on a uh, touchdown drive that, you know, didn't really matter. Uh, There was also a 42-yard pass play by Sean Clifford that was allowed to stand, even though it was pretty clear Clifford had crossed the line of scrimmage when he released the ball. I'm going to talk more about that play in a second. So look, you know, Penn State, four turnovers, that doesn't really factor into the yardage total, but all of those turnovers were forced by Ohio State, forced by JT2 and Malawau specifically. And we also saw kind of the the yin and yang of Sean Clifford once again. It was on full display in this game, right? I mean, he definitely made some plays yesterday. There's no doubt about it. 371 yards passing, three touchdown passes. But, you know, those four turnovers, you know, including the strip sack and the pick six in the fourth quarter, I mean, those were just catastrophic, you know, mistakes by Sean Clifford. Now, you got to give Tui Malowal credit for forcing those, but man, You know, we saw it in last year's game. Sean Clifford had two catastrophic turnovers last year in the shoe against Ohio State that led to 10 Ohio State points in a nine-point game. So Sean Clifford, man, if you're a Penn State fan, (laughs) that guy has to be so frustrating, so tantalizing because he can definitely make some plays. But in the end, you can set your watch to it. You just know he's going to make some catastrophic mistakes. I also got to give game balls to C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr., who, along with Tui Maloa, were, were just about as impactful yesterday. Stroud finished 26 of 33 for 354 yards and a touchdown, no turnovers. In the fourth quarter, Stroud was 6 of 8 for 128 yards and a touchdown. He also hit Emeka Ibuka for a cold-blooded 42-yard completion with 3.33 to play in the game, and the Buckeyes clinging to a 30-24 to lead. It was Far and away, his best throw of the game, an absolute dime. Travion Henderson would score on the next play to put the Buckeyes up 37-24. Look, I don't think Stroud gets nearly enough credit for how well he plays with the game on the line. And maybe that's because Ohio State is so rarely in close games in the fourth quarter. But I wanted to share this tweet from Ohio State beat writer Tony Gerdeman to really illustrate my point. Gerdeman says, 
When Ohio State is trailing in the fourth quarter or the game is only separated by one score, C.J. Stroud is 65 of 90 passing. That's a 72.2% completion percentage for 900 yards with seven touchdowns and only one interception in his career. And the last three times he has been in these situations, that's Utah in the Rose Bowl, Notre Dame in the opener this season, and Penn State yesterday, Stroud has completed 24 of 27 passes for 329 yards, three touchdowns, and zero interceptions. I mean, that's crazy. And that speaks volumes to, you know, what a gamer C.J. Stroud is late, uh, you know, in close games. Uh, And again, you know, we just don't see Ohio State in a lot in those situations all that often. So people probably tend to forget how good Stroud is with the game on the line. Marvin Harrison Jr., I mean, what what can you say? 10 catches on 12 targets, 185 yards yesterday. That was probably the best secondary Ohio State's going to see all season. Joey Porter Jr., he's probably going to be a first-round pick. Jair Brown, Kalen King, those are all three, you know, great, great players in, the, in that Penn State secondary. And they had no answer for Stroud and Harrison. Now, you know, they didn't connect for any touchdowns. And I don't know what the actual total was, but it seems Stroud and Harrison connected on, you know, several critical third down conversions, just, you know, game breakers that uh, that were huge for the Buckeyes. Stroud is very clearly in the thick of the Heisman race. We know that he's been there from the beginning of the season, pretty much. But I think Marvin Harrison Jr. has to be among the top two or three candidates for the Bolitnikoff Award. One thing I didn't like I guess that was annoying as as an Ohio State fan was, boy, man, Penn State got a lot of breaks in this game. Now, as Paige and I had both correctly predicted, this was a good game for the better part of three and a half quarters. Under James Franklin, we know this. Penn State almost always gets up for the Buckeyes and plays one of their better games of the season. That was definitely the case yesterday as a 15 and a half point underdog. You know, Franklin's team did it again. And man, on top of all that, playing well, and I, you know, it's not to discredit Penn State. They got a lot of nice breaks in this game to keep it close. Now, it started in the second quarter when Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford, I mentioned this earlier, was clearly over the line of scrimmage on a 42-yard pass play to Theo Johnson that gave the Lions a first down at the Ohio State 23. The Lions would score on the next play to take a 14-10 lead over the Buckeyes. Now, at the start of the third quarter, the Penn State would get another huge break. Cody Simon would force a fumble on return man Daquan Hardy, but the Lions would fall on it, you know, disaster averted. And then in the fourth quarter on Penn State's go-ahead scoring drive, the Lions had back-to-back field goal attempts by Jake Pinniger, say a wide right, but both were wiped out by penalties, giving Penn State new life each time. And the first penalty was a false start on the Lions, which is a dead ball foul. And that meant Ohio State could not decline it. So that gave Penn State another opportunity to kick the field goal, this time but five yards further away. And on that attempt, the Buckeyes were flagged for an obscure defensive illegal formation for lining up over the center. Now, the replay didn't seem to show that's what actually happened, but it was called. And then, you know, rather than giving Pinnegar a third shot at kicking the go-ahead field goal, James Franklin said, fuck it. He put his offense back on the field on fourth and one, trailing the Buckeyes 16 to 14. And the Lions would convert barely on a four-yard pass from Sean Clifford to Tyler Warren. Two plays later, Ronnie Hickman would force a fumble on receiver Mitchell Tinsley at the goal line. But Penn State would recover that one as well. 
Two plays after that on fourth and goal from the one yard line, Penn State running back Catron Allen would somehow escape the grasp of Tommy Eichenberg in the backfield to score a touchdown and put Penn State up 21-16. It was the second fourth and one Penn State would convert on that 13-play, 75-yard scoring drive that ate up nearly six minutes of game time. Man, what a frustrating flurry of breaks there in the fourth quarter. But, you know, Penn State got a bunch of them uh, that started, you know, earlier in the game in the second quarter. In the end, the Buckeyes were able to overcome all of those tough breaks. But man, those were really frustrating to watch as an Ohio State fan. And I think had Penn State been able to pull the upset yesterday, we'd be talking a lot about those breaks today. The only other, you know, things I just didn't like coming out of yesterday's performance, and and I'm going to file this under play calling and game management. You know, so just some very curious choices by Ryan Day yesterday. Um, Ohio State also struggled mightily to run the ball for the second week in a row, which I think is related to some play calling and game management by Ryan Day. Let me first start with those goddamn bubble screens. Now, why Ryan Day continued to call those plays for Emeka Ibuka, with which the Penn State secondary devoured every single time, was just very curious. I mean, asking C.J. Stroud and the Ohio State receivers to run bubble screens is like a Ferrari driving through a school zone. I mean, what? it's the biggest waste of those resources that I can think of. And as we saw later in the game, there were throws available to the Ohio State passing game down the field. And why Ryan Day elected to throw bubble screens over those I don't know. It's it's one of life's great mysteries. So I really hope Day just tears those bubble screens out of his playbook. We also saw Ryan Day's hyper aggression. You get the best of him at the end of the second quarter, trailing 14 to 13 with six seconds to play in the half from the Penn State eight yard line. Day elected to throw the ball instead of kicking the field goal. Now, I know Day thought he could take one shot at the end zone and still have a little time left for a field goal attempt, but CJ Stroud was sacked on the play as time expired. And to me, look, that was a very easy decision there. You're on the road in a hostile environment. You have not played all that well in the first half. Just kick the chip shot field goal there. Go into the half with the lead, right, with a little bit of momentum. And look, I think had Ohio or had Penn State been able to spring the upset, that was a decision Day would have definitely regretted. I mean, that would have come back to haunt him for sure. So, you know, we still see a little bit of hyper aggression in Ryan Day that sometimes can cost him. Sometimes you just take, you just take what's there, right? You take what the defense gives you. So that was a real frustrating moment in the game for me. Finally, the Ohio State running game you know, again, struggled mightily for the second week in a row. And of course, the instinct is to blame the offensive line and the running backs. But I thought Bill Landis of Rivals made some very interesting observations in his postgame column today. He said the tendencies of the Ohio State run game are just too predictable right now. Ryan Day likes to run stretch zone to the short side of the field. I mean, that is his kind of bread and butter. That is his go-to play in the run game. It has become an obvious tendency Iowa last week and Penn State yesterday knew that, and they continued to beat the offensive line to the point of attack. Landis said that Day called nine first down runs yesterday, most of them to the short side of the field that averaged 2.8 yards per carry. Now, those failed first down running plays would often put the Buckeyes off schedule and behind the chains and ultimately led to their issues converting on third down. Ohio State was only four of 12 on third down yesterday. They were three of 13 on third down against Iowa last week. 
Now, Landis also noted that Ohio State's two most successful run plays of the game yesterday, those were Trey Henderson's two touchdown runs, came on inside running plays out of tempo. So, you know, maybe there's an answer there for day in the run game. Uh, mix things up, run a little bit more tempo and run inside a little bit more. And look, I, you know, I do wonder, in spite of all that, how things might have played out differently yesterday if Mayan Williams hadn't gotten hurt. Yesterday just kind of looked and felt like a Mayan Williams kind of a day, right? And I, I didn't think Trey Henderson was at his best for most of the game yesterday. To me, he's still doing a little too much dancing at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, look, Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson, Trey Henderson, they've got three weeks to figure out the rushing attack before Michigan. Uh, I think they're definitely going to need to run the ball in that game. And then, you know, the other concern is the health of Mayan Williams. It looked like he suffered some kind of a wrist or, you know, hand injury. It looked like he had a wrap around his pinky and ring fingers. I don't maybe he broke his fingers. So it's going to be very interesting to watch what happens with that Ohio State running back room. If Williams is unable to play over these next few weeks, uh, who's your backup to Trey Henderson? Is it Dallin Hayden? Is it Chip Trainum? You know, who they've moved over from linebacker into the running back room. Um, I'd kind of like to see what they can get from someone else in the run game, whether it's Hayden or Chip Trainum. It might kind of sort of be a, a good thing uh, to, you know, th that one of those backs gets elevated and gets some carries because I... I don't know what the hell's going on with Trey Henderson. He's in a bit of a sophomore slump. And I think he's doing a little too much shucking and jiving, dancing at the line of scrimmage, rather than just hitting the hole and taking what the defense you know, gives him. So not a ton of other games around the country that really piqued my interest. But I did, of course, watch a little bit of the Michigan State-Michigan game and was quite frankly underwhelmed by Michigan in that game. Now, I know I've been a little critical of Michigan. I haven't, I'm not quite buying what Michigan is selling this year. You know, and yesterday, I think there was good reason to be skeptical. Look, it was a one-score game at the half. Michigan led 13-7, to seven. you know, after two quarters. The Wolverines would eventually pull away, as we all knew they would, for a 29-7 win. But Michigan State is dreadful. I mean, they're not a good football team. There isn't anything they do particularly well. It took Michigan the better part of four quarters to put that game away. And I think a big reason for that is Michigan had five drives into the Michigan State red zone and only came away with one touchdown. They had to settle for field goals on the other four trips. Michigan has real trouble converting in the end zone. I, they, they had trouble against Penn State and Iowa this season in the red zone. So I think that's something to watch. I also thought it was another pedestrian performance by Michigan uh, in the pass game. Quarterback J.J. McCarthy, 15 to 25 for 167 yards and one touchdown against one of the worst pass defenses in the FBS. I mean, look, there were pass plays to be had against that Michigan State secondary. They stink. Now, Blake Corum was good again yesterday, 177 yards on 33 carries and a touchdown. But I'm starting to wonder if Corum is covering up some pretty serious deficiencies with that Michigan offense. I mean, He's like a deodorizer uh, for some pretty, you know, <laughs> stinky performances by the Michigan offense in recent weeks. So th that begs the question again, and I, and I know I've asked this, what happens when Michigan runs into a defense that can limit the run game? I don't know. I mean, I think that's a pretty serious question for the Michigan offense. Now on defense, it was notable to me that the Michigan secondary had trouble with Spartan receiver Keon Coleman. 
Coleman finished with 155 yards on five receptions. Look, in the end, it didn't have a major impact on the final outcome. But Coleman is six foot four, 210 pounds. Michigan didn't have an answer for him. He was muscling the ball away from Michigan defensive backs. Six foot four, 210 pounds. Hmm. Does that remind you of a certain Ohio State receiver who is tearing up opposing defenses right now? Okay, that's going to do it for me. You can expect a preview pod for the Northwestern game from Paige, Chad, and myself on either Wednesday or Thursday. Until then, thanks so much for listening, and go Bucks. You've been listening to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com. 